I want to really pray over this word tonight, and let's believe God for a significant time. So, Lord, I thank you for the awesome power of your word. And, Lord, I ask you come mightily upon, Lord, um, you know, me tonight to preach this. But let there be a fresh anointing. And allow your Holy Spirit just to reach out and, and captivate all of us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. Lord, that by the anointing and the, and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that we will be good, fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And that this word will go out as living seeds of truth, sown in a good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains, Lord. Let your word be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold. Let your word, Lord, be a sword that cuts away what needs to go. Lord, let there be the washing of the water of the word that will cleanse. And Lord, let your word be a, a bright shining light. That will dispel all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy and bring truth. Lord, that that light will dispel pet doctrines. It will dispel deception. And Lord, let your word go out and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We bind the enemy in the name of Jesus that he will not hinder this word. But let the winds of your spirit, Lord, carry this everywhere it's supposed to go. And let your holy angels watch over it. Lord, we thank you for the awesome power of your word. I mean, I love God's word. Where would, we be, where would we be today without the word of God being an anchor in our lives and bringing stability? And Lord, we love you and thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, it's, it's such an, a blessing that God loved us so much. He made sure that we had a word documented that we could have today. You think about places that the word of God is illegal and somebody like North Korea and China and other places, they may accept the Lord and may not have a Bible. And they don't have a word to read. And uh, so, Lord, we are just so thankful that we have your word today. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I just thought about that. <clears throat> in China, there were some missionaries that went there. And there was a huge group of people in a meeting place. And it's the underground church. So everything's illegal there um, as to be a Christian. And maybe things have changed some now, I don't know, but at the time it was. And all these people gathered, and this man was there, and they were asking him to, to please preach. And, and they said, uh, we want you to preach till you're done. He said, okay. And then he really realized what they were asking him. They wanted him to start in Genesis and, and walk him through the whole Bible. And they wanted to stay there, and they were, it was standing room only, it was packed. They, they said, please, and he, he had to stay there for hours and hours and hours just going through the whole Bible with them because they were so hungry for God's Word. They didn't have the Word for themselves to go home and read. And so that really should speak to all of us that have a love for the Word of God. Amen. All right, so with that said, I'm going to deal with um, kind of a part two from last week. I'm going to deal with Yom Kippur, which is coming up this next Tuesday. And I'm connecting it with the days of Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. So those of you that like end time prophecy, I, I believe you'll like this. But last week I showed you the different feast, and it had a picture of the menorah sideways and went through the feast. So the spring feast had been fulfilled. Jesus died on Passover day. It's interesting that God fulfilled these feasts on the same day. You know, it wasn't like in the general time frame, like he died in that general month. No, he died on Passover day. He was in the tomb during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he raised from the dead on the day first fruits. And then, of course, we know 50 days later, Pentecost, called Shavuot, 
that that was when the Holy Spirit was poured out on that day to birth the early church. And so those feasts have been fulfilled. And what we're looking at now is the last three feasts to be fulfilled. And we talked about last week, Yom Teruah. How many of you guys liked last week? That was an awesome night. It really was. And blasting of the shofarim and the, the communion that we had. It was just amazing. But we're looking for the coming of the Lord. And I'm going to deal with a little bit of that tonight about him meeting us in the air. So the next thing on God's calendar is Yom Teruah. The catching away of the remnant bride, the rapture. Then after that, the feast Yom Kippur deals with the days of Jacob's trouble or what we know as the tribulation time. And then finally, the, the last feast, Tabernacles, deals with Jesus coming to the earth physically to rule and reign for a thousand years. How many of you guys look forward to that time? That the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our, or the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. That he's going to rule. It's hard for us to even really imagine that. That all the nations of the entire world, everything will be subject to him and he's physically here ruling and reigning. The enemy is going to be bound and it's going to be restored back to kind of like the Garden of Eden time. And so I look forward to that day. I'm sure you do too. All right, so let me give you a few things. Number one, the Feast of the Lord. These are obviously an outline of Bible prophecy being fulfilled is how many knows when God called Abraham, you know, when Adam sinned, from the time that Adam sinned, God prophesied to Adam that from the woman's seed would come one who the serpent would strike his heel, talking about the cross, okay, the wounding of the cross, but that he would crush the serpent's head. And so there was a prophecy right there of the coming Messiah. And so Satan knew his days were numbered. And from the time Adam sinned until Abraham was 2,000 years, and God began through Abraham to unfold a plan of salvation where he could draw as many people unto him as possible. And these feasts show the significant time frame until it's all consummated and finished, okay? So some things about the feast is this. Number one, these are God's appointed time not Israel's. A lot of people don't realize what I'm about to tell you. But I'll read you the scriptures. But God said, these are my feast. Not these are Israel's feast. There's a big difference. And he said, they're, they're to be observed throughout all generations. And we see that in Zechariah 14, 16 through 17, that there's a strong reference to the Feast of Tabernacles and how the whole world of that time, the different nations have to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles with Jesus. Isn't that going to be awesome? And so we know that when God said, these are my feasts, these are my appointed times, these are my days, and they're going to be observed for all generations, he meant that literally. And I think a lot of people look at these things as something that was under the law and it's no longer relevant today but that's not true they are relevant and so in Leviticus 23 verse 1 I'm just going to read it here it says the feast of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation these are my feast 
And in verse 14, it will be a statute forever throughout generations, uh, throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And so also Exodus 12, verse 14 and 17. And so let me just paint a picture. These things are going to be continuing in the age to come. We look forward to Jesus coming, don't we? When he sets up his rule and reign on the earth. But you have to understand when he comes, there's going to be a weekly Sabbath. There's going to be a monthly new moon time. And there's going to be these feasts in the earth. So people that have a problem with these things are going to have to get over it. If they don't get over it in this life, they're going to have to get over it in the age to come. Because it's going to be taking place. They say, well, I don't like the banners. I don't like the shofar. I don't like this and that because, you know, for whatever reason. It's kind of an anti-Semitic spirit in my opinion. But they're going to have to get over it one day when Jesus comes because he's coming as the Jewish Messiah to rule over the world. Now, a couple more things is God has appointed times. So I'm talking about these feasts, but I want you to think about something. God knows the end from the beginning, and he has appointed times. In Galatians 4.4, it says the Messiah came at the fullness of time. There was an appointed time for him to come. I'll deal with this more later in the sermon, but God told Daniel in his time, there's 70 weeks declared for your people, talking about the Jewish people. And those prophetic weeks are a period of seven years, okay? From the time of Daniel till the time, you know, when he got that prophecy from the Daniel to Jesus was those 69 weeks fulfilled, and it was fulfilled exactly. As a matter of fact, those that were biblical scholars at that time, they were actually looking for the Messiah to come. The problem was he didn't fit their mold of what he thought, what they thought he should be. And so they reject him as a whole. But he came at the fullness of time. So the point is, if Jesus was not the Messiah, which we know he is, there's not going to be one. Because Daniel said he would come at that appointed time. And God gave them space to repent and accept the, their Messiah. When Jesus came, you've got to understand that the common people, by and large, many of them accepted him. Not everybody, but there was a lot of the common people that did accept him. It was the religious leaders that did not accept him. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, he did not fit their mold. And one of the things that, that seems to be very evident that John pointed out was they were jealous of Jesus' ministry. He spoke with one as has authority, and he, he ministered signs and wonders, and he had a powerful ministry. They didn't have that. And they were jealous, and they were jealous of the crowds he was drawing. And so they turned the people against him and began to tell the people there's no way he's the Messiah, but yet he was. But he came at that fullness of time. And the early church, when the day of Pentecost came, you have to understand there was around 500 people that, that Jesus appeared to, so we know that he at least had 500 that were faithful to him. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 accepted the Lord that day. So automatically, the church started with 3,500 people. And the Bible says that many kept being added to the number. You ought to read this in the book of Acts. There were Levites. There were some that were of the priestly family. 
Aaron's descendants that were coming into the faith. And so for 13 years, now think about how long that is, 13 years, the early church was just among the Jewish people. And there were many that were accepting Christ as their Savior. But as a whole, 13 is the number of rebellion. God saw the rebellion that as leaders, the Sanhedrin, they did not accept the Messiah. And so God finally said, okay, then this is going to start going to the Gentiles. He allowed the temple to be destroyed. He allowed the Jewish people to be scattered. We know the story. But Paul, God raised up Paul. Uh, Peter went to Cornelius' house to start it, but Paul began to go out on missionary journeys. And the gospel went to the Gentiles. So my point is this. This is all going to make sense in this sermon. But what Daniel saw, Daniel never saw the church age. Isn't that amazing? Because God told Daniel, he said, I'm giving you a vision of 70 weeks for your people, the Jews. He didn't see this 2,000 year grace period, the times of the Gentiles. And what happened was when those 69 weeks were fulfilled and Jesus came and he gave his life on the cross as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, the Messiah, okay, uh, what would be called Mashiach ben Joseph, Yosef, that he came as the suffering Savior, Isaiah 53. It says that the Messiah would be cut off and it's as though God pushed pause. You guys, you know, you're watching a DVD or something and you just pause it. It's like God paused Daniel's prophecy. And the gospel now went to the Gentiles, went out to the nations. But when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, and I'll explain this as I go, I'm starting to get ahead of myself. But God has appointed times. Psalm 102 verse 13 says, there's an appointed time to favor Zion. So these times, these feast days, are actually God's appointed times. And throughout history, God has had appointed times that he was going to do something. So let me just kind of dive into what I have here. Number one I want to cover is that the early church's mentality was that the imminent return of Jesus Christ would be any time. You have to understand that the early church, Jesus said, behold, I'll, you know, I'm with you always, I'll be back, and he ascends, and they're looking for him to come back now. And so when people start accepting Christ through Paul's ministry in places like Thessalonica and, and you know, the Corinthian church and the Galatians, through Paul's missionary journeys, he's planting these churches. Well, the church of Thessalonica was like, look, we're believing for Jesus to come back like now and he's not here and now we've got people that are dying and they're concerned about it and they're asking paul you know what's going to happen to these people i mean messiah hasn't come back yet they're dying what's going on and so paul had to deal with that in his letter he wrote in first thessalonians you have to understand the context in first thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 Paul said this. He said, you would be delivered from the wrath to come. But the word delivered means rescued. You know, when some people don't like the word rapture, but the Greek word is harpazo. And it was asked by somebody that spoke Greek, you know, what, what would that word mean? And they said, well, let me give you an example. They said, let's say we were walking on a sidewalk 
and you had a little child with you, and that child, you turn your head and they walk into the street and there's an oncoming car. And you reach out and you grab them by the back of their shirt and you snatch them out of the road before they get hit. He said, that's harpazo. It's a, it's a catching away. And that's the picture. As I, as I go through this sermon, there's, I really believe this is going to paint something in your mind of what God is about to do. But we're called in Thessalonians, in this context, this is what Paul's dealing with. Paul said, you will be delivered from the wrath to come. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, you're not appointed to wrath. And to comfort in 1 Thessalonians 4.18, to comfort each other regarding these words. So, how many of you guys understand that God has not appointed his remnant bride for wrath. Does this make sense? God's not like, okay, I've got this remnant in the earth, these people that are really sold out to me. And they love me and they're my bride. Now I'm going to set you over here and dump my wrath on you. Okay, that's not God. This is going to make a lot of sense as I go. But God is painted through his word if you'll read the whole word. Sometimes people, what people need to understand, I strongly encourage that people hear this um, outside of our church. You need to go back and you need to understand the first five books of the Bible. And you need to understand Daniel before you try to understand Revelation. You, you know what I'm saying? There's a law of first reference. You've got to understand certain things. If you look at the whole word of God, you, it paints a picture. And when God began to pour out his judgment on Egypt, his people were in the land of Goshen where they weren't experiencing the judgment and wrath. And Jesus said it would be as it was in the days of Lot and Noah when he comes. Lot escaped out of the city when the wrath came down. Noah, when the wrath of God began to come down, Noah was in his big boat with his family. And when the wrath of God came down, they went up. And when the wrath of God subsided, they came back down to repopulate. God's trying to paint a picture. And he's painting a picture with Enoch. You know, Enoch is an amazing man, but yet there's such a small amount written about him in the Bible. And you almost think to yourself, why is he even mentioned in the Bible? Because basically it says him in a genealogy, and basically it's what it says about Enoch. He walked with God, and then he was taken away. And you, you read this, and you go, well, you know, there's a reason that's in there. Because God's trying to show us that Enoch was a picture and type of being raptured. And as I go through this sermon, you're going to see what I'm talking about. Enoch, the, the Amplified says, he habitually walked with God. Habitually means it was a habit. He continually, as a pattern in his life, walked with God. And then God took him out. Because Enoch was living in the time when that, the Nephilim and all that garbage was coming onto the earth. And God was going to begin to um, look at pouring out his wrath. And God took him out. And so the Bible says, comfort each other with these words. And so it's not comforting to tell God's remnant bride, hey, you know, we're going to be here for the wrath of God. Get ready. You know, batten down the hatches. Here it comes. That's not the words of comfort. And so let me break down. This is where a lot of people get confused. There's going to be two comings of the Lord, if you will, 
The first is going to be a meeting in the air. And the second is going to be when his feet touch the Mount of Olives. What you've got to understand, when you look at these two descriptions, there is no possible way that they're the same thing. In one, you've got a meeting in the air where Jesus is not going to come down and touch the Mount of Olives. He's in the air. He's really far off the earth in the atmosphere. And he said in this coming, he said, Behold, I come like a thief in the night. And you read about this quick catching away, the harpazo. People are going to be changed as quick as you blink your eye. If you're alive, Fernando, you're going to be changed like that. Glorified body. And you're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. So think about this description. Where it's going to be like a, you know, like Enoch being caught away, being snatched away into the air to meet the Lord in the air. And he said, watch and pray. You don't know the day this is going to happen. You don't know the hour. It's going to be a suddenly. And then you've got this description where it says, he's coming, all eyes will see him. How many knows that's not a thief in the night if everybody sees him? As lightning is across the sky, the Son of Man's coming, okay? And his feet, it's not going to be in the air. His feet are physically going to touch the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. And he's going to go down into Jerusalem. And this is something when he comes, he's going to destroy the armies that are surrounding Israel. And it says in the Bible, think about how much blood, this, a lot of times people read over these things, don't think about it. He's going to slaughter the armies coming against Israel to where the blood in that valley is going to be at a horse's bridle. Is that about right here? So waist high, about three feet. That's a lot of blood. And so when Jesus comes the second time, everybody's going to know it. There ain't no thief in the night. This is for all eyes to see. It's his glorious appearing where he's going to slaughter the armies of Israel. He's going to come in and take over. And this is where some people get confused. So I'm going to talk first about the rapture, the harpazo, the catching away, where we're going to meet him in the air. How many of you guys want to be ready for this? In Revelation 16, it says, I come as a thief, and blessed is he who watches. How come the Bible keeps warning us, watch and pray? You don't know when I'm coming. Make sure you're ready. I'm coming for a bride without spot or blemish. You better watch and pray. Why does the Bible keep saying that? God's trying to send some kind of a message. I want you to think about this for a moment regarding the catching away, the rapture. The Bible says that there would be two in a field, one taking the other left. Now, I want you to understand some things maybe you haven't thought about. When it's talking about being in a field like that, it's talking about people that are laboring and working in the field. This is concerning, isn't it, a little bit? These are people that are doing things, but yet, even in that, one of them's ready and the other's not. And Jesus said there'd be two in a bed. In Jesus' mind, the only possibility for that is a husband and wife. So he's saying that even in a marriage relationship, that one could be ready and another not. Jesus talked about in Matthew 25 that there were ten virgins, 
All of them were virgins. He didn't say well, there was these five harlots. And there was these five virgins. He said all ten of them were virgins. All ten of them had lamps. The wise ones had extra oil. That was the only difference. And yet when the Lord came, the five wise were ready. The other five were down here. What about us? What about us? And read it for yourself. I mean, go through this. Take these you know, notes that you can print off and, and go through the scriptures and study it for yourself. But the Lord keeps warning us to be ready. And I want to be ready when he comes. I don't want to get bogged down with the junk in this life. I don't want to allow myself to get hurt by people and get bitter. I don't want to have unrepentant sin in my life. I want, when he comes, I want to be a part of his remnant bribe that has made myself ready. And the making of yourself ready is this, that we're going to make sure that we forgive people. If we've wronged people, we make it right, and that we confess our sin and repent of it, and we're watching. You understand, when it says, I come as a thief, blessed is he who watches, that watching has to do with prayer. In the Bible, the phrase watch, like a watchman, and Jesus, could you not tarry one hour like a watchman and all that? It has to do with prayer. And so the Lord is calling us in these latter days to become a people of prayer. That's what marked Enoch's life. He walked with God. He was a man of prayer. Living in a perverse time. And Jesus kept saying over and over, I'm coming in an hour you do not expect. And I believe the Bible paints a picture that today we're living in a time of the greatest harvest the world's ever seen. I believe that we're going to see some of the greatest revivals the world's ever seen. But also God is getting a bride ready for his coming. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. That's really what this outpouring of the Holy Spirit taking place is about is that God is saving as many people that will come and accept Jesus. But he's, the Holy Spirit is at work convicting us. He's trying to get us ready for the coming of the Lord. And people get their eyes on so many other things. It becomes about making money. Or even in the church, it becomes about all these other religious things. The Lord wants a relationship and he wants us to get to know him and he wants us to draw into an intimacy with him. He wants a bride that's going to spend time with him. And that he's going to clean up and the Holy Spirit is working on us. He's trying to get us ready. And then the second advent. So the rapture will be before the tribulation. And then the actual second coming is glorious appearings after the tribulation. This is where Jesus' feet touch the Mount of Olives. In Revelation 1.7 he comes in clouds. All eyes see him. Zechariah 14.4 to set up his earthly kingdom. But let me give you some promises out of the scripture. Right now, here we are in the time that the Bible would have called the beginning of sorrows. Like the birth pangs. And you can sense anybody that's got any biblical knowledge about the end times and has any discernment at all. You can sense the urgency of the hour. You know that the coming of the Lord is drawing near. You know that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled. You can see it all over the world. It's very apparent. 
even nations realigning like Russia and Iran and all, all of this is connected to end time prophecy. But let me show you this. The Bible says, I will be with you always in Matthew 28, 20. Isn't it comforting that Jesus promises that no matter what's going to happen during this time, that he's with us. John 14, 1, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I will come again. And God is wanting us to be comforted that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us no matter what's going on in the world. And we're looking because he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm coming back. Jesus said, you will face tribulation in this life, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In John 16, And the Bible says in Psalm 91, I love this, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. For secret place dwellers, he said, you will abide under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. Listen, I believe that scripture means this. If you'll be a secret place dweller, I believe that you can continually live under the shadow of the Lord's presence. I believe that. As we drive down the road, there's no reason why we can't sense his nearness and presence around us. When you're at work and you're doing things, there's no reason the glory of the Lord can't be around you. The truth is the Lord loves us more than what we understand in this life. We live many times. It's good to examine yourself and repent and all that. I believe in that very strongly. But many times, all of us do this. We get so focused on our own imperfections and we realize, you know, we're so flawed and imperfect. And if you read the Song of Solomon, remember that, that lady, she was out working the fields. The sun, you know, it caused her skin to be darkened and, and uh, she was insecure about the way she looked and all that. But that's the way a lot of us feel. Lord, we're so imperfect. How could you love us? But yet the Lord loves us a lot more than what we'll ever understand in this life. When we see him, I think we'll understand a little bit more of his love. But his unconditional love, I'll be with you always. I, the Spirit of God is in you. I'm with you. I want to wrap you up under the shadow of, of my wings. And no matter where you go, I'm with you. And take heart. I'm coming back. But even while you're here, you face tribulation. I'll be with you through that. In Luke 12, 32, we read about the Lord returning from that wedding feast, coming down to set up his kingdom. But I want you to notice something. He said, whether I come in the second watch or the third watch. That's interesting. I believe the first watch was from Adam's fall to Abraham. The second watch, because it's two hours as a watch, okay was from, that's 2,000 years, from Abraham to Christ, another 2,000 years, the second watch. But now we're in the third watch. From Christ till now, around 2,000 years. It's interesting because Jerusalem has been through a 3,000 year service from the time of David till now. And there are scriptures like on the third day I will restore you and resurrect you. Things like that. Hosea 6.2 There's a lot of things. What I'm trying to get at is there's a lot of scriptures. There's a lot of you know, symbolism. And there's a lot of things pointing to this time. You sense we're at the end of the third watch. You sense... The sand coming through the hourglass, it's like the last bit of sand coming through. You can sense it. 
you sense like that midnight hour that that second hand is just right there about to click on that midnight hour we know his coming is near he said blessed are those who keep watch that has to do with praying listen if you don't know how to pray learn how to pray there's a scripture i mean a book called could you not tarry one hour by larry lee i encourage people to read that book but we need to learn how to pray and spend time with the lord that's your strength Get up under the shadow of his wings. Spend time with him. In Luke 12, 37, it says, It will be good for those servants who master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, listen to this, he will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and we'll come and wait on them. You guys are going to feel just like me. The Lord's going to come as a thief in the night, a shofar blast, the shout of an archangel. Those that his remnant bride that's made themselves ready are going to be caught away. There's going to be people left behind. But we're going to be caught away to that marriage supper of the Lamb. And then Jesus says he will dress himself to serve and he's going to go around waiting on the table. And you're going to feel just like me. Jesus, sit down. We'll do this. Let us, let us wait the table. No. He's going to wait the table. What people have to understand is this. The days of Jacob's trouble, known as the tribulation, are just that. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. It's not the days of the bride's trouble. It's the days of Jacob's trouble. It'll be about Israel. And God is going to do a final work where the catching away of that remnant bride takes place. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And God says, now it's time to unpause Daniel's prophecy. That last seven years, that 70th week of Daniel is now going to be fulfilled and it's known as the tribulation time. What you have to understand is the nation of Israel right now is really far away from God. The northern part of Israel is filled with atheists, Jewish people that simply do not believe God even exists. There's a very small percent of the Orthodox and the Hasidic that even go to the Western Wall of the Kotel and pray. Israel is the abortion capital of the Middle East and honors the LGBT agenda. Pornography is widespread in Israel. And even to this day, because of the widespread rejection of the Messiah, if there's anything like this taking place, the Orthodox, some of them will take a chicken and will shed its blood for their family in Yom Kippur. It's called kaparot, and it's an abomination because that is an affront to the blood of the Messiah that was shed for the sin of the world. So you're seeing that there's a group, there's Israel right now is far from God. The Messianic believers in Israel are very small minority compared to the nation as a whole. And when God catches away his remnant bride out snatching us out of harm's way, delivering us, and we're going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb, God is going to say, now it's the appointed time, it's the fullness of time for me to unpause this prophecy to Daniel, and now the days of Jacob's trouble will begin. And it's going to be just like the, the, um, the preparation that's taking place there is for Jesus to come back, but it's the centerpiece is Israel. But just like, for example, if you take a rock and you drop it into a lake, 
those ripples are going to go all over. In the same way, what's taking place, Israel's the centerpiece of the whole thing, but it's going to shake the whole earth. See, right now we're living in the age known as the church age or the age of grace. And God is wooing people. He's drawing people by His Holy Spirit. But this will not be forever. There's going to come an appointed time that this dispensation closes and God opens up the time known as the tribulation or the days of Jacob's trouble. Does this make sense? But right now, the Bible says that these things must happen. Israel has been hardened They've been somewhat blinded. There's only a remnant that is being um, brought unto Jesus. And it says, so that the gospel will go to the Gentiles until what? The fullness of the Gentiles are brought in. But there's an appointed time that this will come to a close. And we're living at a time where it very well could be in your lifetime. It could be in your lifetime and my lifetime that we see the catching away of the bride and this whole thing begin to change where the emphasis goes back on Israel and it is a preparation for Jesus' final coming, that glorious appearing. See, God is going to break that nation down, if you will. He's going to allow there to be judgment that brings them to their knees to where they're crying out for the Messiah to come. And that's when Jesus is going to come. The Bible says concerning the tribulation, because we're dealing with Yom Kippur. Right now, even among the Jewish culture, Yom Kippur is the most holy time where people pray and fast, and it's called teshuva. They're repenting. They're, they're, you know, confessing their sins to God. They're making things right if they wrong people. They're trying to get things right because throughout history, Yom Kippur has always been a time of a deep cleansing. And it's prophetic Because the days of Jacob's trouble is going to be like, if you will, a final cleansing to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Right now, Israel is Zionist, but it's not really religious. Zionism is like patriotism with an attitude, we are the ones that have built this land. We gave our sons and daughters in the 67 war, the Yom Kippur war in 73. We've worked, we've labored, we've toiled, we've planted vineyards. And it's an attitude like, you know, the saying, Am Yisrael Chai, it says, the people of Israel live. It's a saying that, that implies, you know, our strength, our resolve. We did this. No, God did this. God said, can a nation be born in a day? And God said, I will gather you from the nations back to the homeland. But see, there's an attitude right now in Israel that we did this. Zionism is not really religious. It's patriotism. Jesus was sent in Matthew 24, verse 21. Jesus said himself, I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And so you have to understand that when Jesus was talking about these things, it's like it's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, when he was giving the end time prophecies, Jesus was speaking to Israel. He wasn't speaking necessarily to the Gentiles out there. He was speaking about Israel being the centerpiece. 
And so when Jesus said these would be days that are so terrible that if these days were not cut short, all flesh would, be, would not survive all of that, Jesus was talking to Israel. Does this make sense? He was referring to the latter days. And he was referring to the nation of Israel. Jesus said in John 5, 43, You did not receive me when I came in my name, but you'll receive another when he comes in his name. And he's prophesying that there would be a, a false Messiah, an Antichrist that will come in the latter days. You rejected me when I came in my name. And what you've got to understand about the Antichrist is this. Israel is going to make a pact with him. A seven-year peace treaty. The book of Daniel says it. Has people really thought about this? Why does the tribulation happen? Okay, I'll paint a picture for you. The fullness of time, the appointed time comes now for the catching away of the remnant bride. This dispensation we know as the age of grace is shifting to a close. Now God begins the 70th week of Daniel, the tribulation time. Why does this even begin? Because Israel at the beginning re rejected their true Messiah and now a false Messiah has come on the scene. And let me tell you, whoever is the prime minister of that time, whoever is involved in the Knesset of that time is going to meet with this Antichrist and they are going to enter into an, a pact agreement with him. And when they sign the dotted line and they, they come into agreement with this Antichrist, Israel just made a pact with Satan. Is anybody seeing this? And that's going to be what inaugurates the seven-year tribulation right there. They rejected the true Messiah when he came, but now they're accepting this guy. And through that, whether they meant to or not, they're making a pact with the devil for a seven-year peace treaty. And Israel is God's fig tree. And there was an interesting parable that Jesus talks about. How many of you guys have eaten figs in your life before? So we know when Jesus cursed the fig tree, he didn't mean like all fig trees, okay? Because they're still here, right? But whenever Jesus tells this parable, and remember there was this tree that would not bear fruit for three years. And the one that was working this field, the owner said, cut it down. It's not bearing fruit. And the man working in the field said, well, why don't we wait another year? Let me dig around it. Let me fertilize it. Let me try to work on this thing and see if I can get some fruit out of it. It's prophetic because Jesus tilled Israel for three years in his ministry. Remember that? And this was God's fig tree. But it was not bearing the type of fruit it needed to bear. And right before Jesus was to die, in Matthew twenty-one seventeen, Jesus cursed the fig tree. And Peter and them came back and saw that fig tree withered. Are you seeing the symbolism? But in Mark 13, 28, the fig tree will blossom again. And it has been since 1948, since Israel became a nation. So this is, this is Israel is God's fig tree. And the Lord prophesied. Um, that that basically that that three years they weren't going to bear fruit jesus cursed the fig tree prophesying that israel would wither as a nation but in mark thirteen twenty eight, remember he talked about how the 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 leaves will shoot out again and, and you can tell summer's near what he was saying was the fig tree will once again live it will begin to blossom again 
If you want to understand end time prophecy, you have to understand Israel. Part of the reason why the church, by and large, many of them don't understand end time prophecy is because they believe in what's called replacement theology. They don't accept Israel. And they believe that God's done with Israel. The church has replaced Israel. And what does Israel have to do with anything? If you take the very centerpiece of end time prophecy out, how are you going to understand it? It's God's victory. It's his timepiece. It is what you've got to watch to understand what the Lord's doing. The feast, lay it out as plain as can be. But if you take Israel out of the equation, you're not going to see any of that. So here's the last couple things I want to cover. If you read the book of Revelation, it's really interesting because in Revelation 2 and 3, the letter was written to those seven churches. If I remember right, Ephesus was the first and Laodicea the last. Remember it went down through those churches? And the Lord kept saying to the angel of the church, write this. And then he would say, if, you know, to him who overcomes, I'll do this. Those that have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. I'm going to point that out here in a moment. But you see that it was all about the church. The first, you know, chapter 2 and 3, everything was about the church. And then chapter 4 opens up, says, I saw a door open in the heavens. I heard a voice saying, come up here. It's a picture and type of the rapture, the catching away of the bride. And then you don't hear one word about the church from that time until Jesus comes back with them because they were at the marriage supper. Everything else you read about is what's going on on the earth as the Lord is sending judgment. In 2 Peter 3, 3, Peter prophesied that in the latter days there would be God mockers. Where's this coming of the Messiah you keep talking about? You keep talking about this Jesus. Things continue on as they've always been. You even hear that among some Christians. How many knows not everybody has eyes to see? Not everybody has ears to hear. I'm going to show you something as I close out with these last couple points here. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, when Paul was talking about the rapture, look at what he said. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And he began to talk about the catching away. But he said, I'll tell you a mystery. Everybody say mystery. You have to have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to be able to understand mysteries. They go over a lot of people's head. And let me show you this in 1 Corinthians uh, 2 verse 6. Before Paul ever got to this mystery in chapter 15, he says this in chapter 2. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age. He says not worldly wisdom nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. These things we also speak, not in words, 
of man's wisdom, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. There's a lot of um, carnal, worldly people that sit in churches. They, they may be born again on the way to heaven, but they're not spiritually mature. They don't have eyes and ears of the Spirit. You start talking about mysteries, and it just right over their head. But he said, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You have to understand spiritual mysteries by the Holy Spirit helping you to understand it. You cannot understand it with a natural worldly mind. That's why sometimes some of those that are very studious in the word. And they may have a doctorate. They're very studious. And, but everything that they study is all head knowledge. It's not revelation knowledge. And they cannot understand the mysteries of God. They don't. It, it totally eludes them. And you talk, that's why a lot of them cannot see the rapture because they can't understand the mystery. They don't have spiritual eyes. They don't have spiritual ears. That's why Jesus said it's so much easier for children to enter the kingdom. Why do you think it is that sometimes those that are more simple in many ways get much greater revelation from the Lord than some of the learned? Why is it in Jesus' time that the common people understood this is the Messiah while the religious leaders that studied the law night and day knew the word they could quote the word of God totally missed it? Why is it when God called Paul, who is an extremely learned individual, why was it that he was blinded and scales had to fall off his eyes because he was blind by religion he did not have eyes and ears of the Spirit, and God was trying to show him, in all of your religious zeal, you are still spiritually blind as a bat. But as he humbled himself like a child, and he went out and sought God and spent time with him in prayer, mystery and revelation was revealed to him. That's why people many times have a hard time understanding end time prophecy and understanding the meeting in the air versus the glorious appearing. Because they are blinded, there's something in them that's the natural man, a natural understanding. Listen, there's different ways you see things. When you're a little child, a teacher takes you and says 2 plus 2 equals 4. At first you don't get it, and then pretty soon, oh, I see that's the natural man. But then you have spiritual revelation where you're, you're spending time with the Lord and it opens up to you that now you see spiritually things you've never seen before. And you say, ah, oh, now I see. That's why Jesus would speak in parables. He said, though they have eyes to see, they don't see. Though they have ears to hear, they don't hear. It is hidden to them. So with that said, Zechariah 14, 5. When the Lord comes. Here's the thing. There's, there's three different predominant views about this. 
One is that the Lord will come at the end of the tribulation time, and that's it. Most people don't believe this because it doesn't make any sense. Why would we be caught up in the middle of the air to turn around and come right back down? Most people reject that view because it simply doesn't even make any sense. But the other common view is the mid-tribulation. And people talk about the last trump. And they look at the Revelation trumpets. But if you study the Revelation trumpets from Revelation 8, 6 to eleven fifteen, they don't have to do with the catching away of the bride. They actually have to do with the earth being prepared for his glorious appearing. The last trump has to do with Yom Teruah. And I think you guys saw that last week whenever we talked about that. But in, to this day, in Jesus' day going way back in synagogues, whenever Yom Teruah came, the house of the Lord, the synagogue, okay, they would have different people that played the shofar. And for Yom Teruah, somebody up there, there's a lot of singing. Okay, there's different blasts. And they'd be up there singing tekiah, and there'd be this blast, da-da, da-da, it'd go all around. And then the shivarim, da-da, 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 teruah, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And they would keep doing this. There was a hundred trumpet blasts. And at the, at the end, tekiah hagadol, the final last trump, where all the shofarim blast at the same time, everybody as loud as they can, and they hold it as long as they can. It's a great shofar blast, the last trump. And the Apostle Paul didn't even take a lot of time to explain this because he knew when you said the phrase last trump, he knew that everybody reading this understood what he was talking about because of Yom Teruah. The book of Revelation hasn't even been written. Is this making sense? In Revelation chapter 9, you read about how there would be this gate of hell that opens in the Middle East. Remember that? The angel came down and opened the abyss. And where was it at? It referenced the river Euphrates. So this was in the Middle East. And what God is trying to show us is this. The, the tribulation time, you know why a lot of people misunderstand end time prophecy also regarding when the Lord's coming? Because they keep dealing with the tribulation too much. The tribulation time is for Israel. You see what I'm saying? But they keep trying to put the church in there. If they would understand that it isn't meant for the remnant bride, this is actually regarding Israel, and it's a Middle Eastern focus. Revelation 9, the abyss opens in the Middle East. This is about God preparing the nation of Israel. It's a shaking that's going to shake the whole world, but it has to do with Israel. All right, I need to close this out, but I'm going to just this last thing here in Exodus 23:17. When it talked about three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. I'm going to deal just briefly with the feast, but let me say this. Every year, the first thing, and you know, here in River of Life, we have Passover, we have a Passover meal, and I talk about it. But the very first feast in the biblical year okay the biblical new year is right before passover the first one is passover and then you see the next major feast is pentecost and then the next major feast has to do with like the tabernacle's time and you know the fall feast uh, yom teruah to that 
And this is based on Israel's agriculture. It's based on their harvest. So I'm going to say this real quick and get off this. I've shared this before. But the first feast at Pentecost time is the barley harvest. And the way that the barley was harvested back then, it would be, you know, they would take a sickle to it and bring it in. But you, they had a structure, and it was built to where there would be an opening on each side to create a wind tunnel. And this was called the threshing floor. And so as people went out and they gathered in the barley, the owner of the field, just like you read Boaz, remember, he would sleep by the barley because he didn't want people to come steal his harvest, right? But what he would do is he would take a large part of that um, barley harvest and bring it into this threshing floor. It had a roof over it, but it had an opening. So now it's like a wind tunnel. And he would take a pitchfork called a winnowing fork and he would take it and he would toss it up in the air and the wind blowing through there would separate the chaff. And he would keep doing that until all the chaff was separated and it was just the barley there. I want you to notice that this is like a gentle harvest. This will make sense in a moment. Then you have the second harvest time, Pentecost. This is the wheat harvest. When wheat is brought in, they take a sickle to it, they bring it all in. But you cannot do that with wheat. To get the grain out, you have to lay it on the ground. And they built what would look like a sled. And they would have maybe a grown man and maybe two or three different people stand on it to put body weight on this sled. And they would have an animal they would attach it to. And that animal would walk. And as they stood on it with their body weight, it would crush all of that wheat grain under them. It would crush it. And they would drive over it and they would plow it and they would break it open. They would crush it. And it would break that outer husk around the wheat so that you could get the grain. And then the last harvest of the year has to do with the fall feast. And this is like olives and grapes and figs and all of that. So here's the three major harvests. Right now, you're living in a gentle time known as the age of grace. God's Holy Spirit is being poured out. He's wooing us. He's drawing us. And the wind of the Spirit of God is blowing through our lives and blowing out the chaff. And people that will accept Him and get ready when He comes, it's going to be a catching away. Notice it's thrown up in the air. The Lord is going to catch away that harvest. But it's a gentle harvest. But those that don't go in this harvest... There's still going to be a major tribulation harvest, but they're going to have to go through the crushing of that time. And then at the very end, when Jesus comes in his glorious appearing and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, he said he's going to send out his angels to go gather the elect. That is the very last harvest, and it has to do with the grapes. It has to do with there was a lot of bloodshed during that time. I don't know about you, but I want the Holy Spirit to just be able to blow the chaff out of me. And I want to be somebody the Holy Spirit can speak to and that I can be a bride made ready for His coming because I don't want to be one of those there was a two in a field and one was left. I don't want to be the one back here having to go through the crushing. All right, these feast times, not everybody has eyes to see and ears to hear. And so this is what I want to close with right here. Remember I was talking about mysteries. I'm talking about divine revelation where God shows you things. 
something about these feast times is significant. But the greater church, by and large, a lot of people don't understand them. And it's sad because I believe if they properly understood them, it would be a blessing to them. It doesn't have anything to do. It doesn't have one thing to do with your salvation. But I still believe that they're biblical and significant. Remember, the Lord said these are my feast, and they're to be observed throughout all generations. So they're going on today, and they're going to be going on in the age to come. I believe whenever we look at the feast times, here's some benefits. Number one, I believe that you understand the Bible more clearly than what you did before. How many of you guys, since I've gone through the Hebrew roots, think about last week, and we went through Yom Teruah, and we went through the communion and how it connects to the uh, the ancient Jewish weddings and, and the, the rapture. How many of you guys would say going through all this, you know what, Pastor Scott, I've actually learned some things I didn't know before. Why? Because these Hebrew roots bring a depth to our understanding. It's out of that Hebrew soil that sprung up Christianity. All right, number two, it helps keep us in tune with God's fig tree. Listen, if you want to know what God's doing, keep your eye on the fig tree. Watch Israel. And it helps us stay in tune with what God's speaking. Just like, for example, in 2014 and 15, we had those blood moons that took place on feast days. It was a sign. It really was God speaking. But a lot of the body of Christ, by and large, do not have eyes to see. They do not have ears to hear. They don't understand these things. And so what do they do? They mock it. And the Lord said this. Three times a year, you will appear before the Lord. Now, this is interesting to me because in Exodus, there was a scripture, I believe it was Exodus 19, I could be mistaken, but you should read this story. If you want to do a Bible study this week, find this. So the children of Israel come to Sinai. Moses kills an animal, and he takes the blood, and he starts sprinkling it on the people like this, saying the blood of the covenant is upon you. So the elders of the people, they come into Moses, and they've got those little blood drops on them. And Moses and Joshua and the elders, they go up the mountain. And they get pretty far up the mountain into where the cloud of the glory was. And the Bible says when they got up there that they saw God and they lived. They only lived because of the blood. But they saw God. And it says that they ate and drank. I believe that they saw a pre-incarnate Christ. It's my opinion. But they saw God, and they ate and drank. And this was a picture and type of the feast days. This was the time that God was giving Moses the Torah. And this was the time that God would have been formulating in his mind, I want to have, I believe possibly, that while this pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is there, these elders are there eating and drinking in his presence could it be that something birthed in God at that moment where he said, I want this. I want to be able to spend time with my people. And he, he created these feast days so that people would come before him and he can meet with his people. But the Lord said, appear before me. So these seem to be times when there's a special open heaven and God's presence comes. 
And you guys that have been with me very long can testify that it does seem like around these times that the presence of God does intensify. All right. The last couple of things, cycles of blessing. A lot of Christians live in cycles of destruction and negative patterns in their life. Dr. Robert Heidler wrote a book I highly recommend. I'm going to try to get a copy to some of you guys here. But those that hear this, I very strongly recommend that you buy this book. It's called A Messianic Church Arising, and it's by Dr. Robert Heidler. And his name would be spelled H-E-I-D-L-E-R. And it talks about these things. But he says in this book that a lot of people live in cycles of negative things, but God wants you to come into cycles of blessing. And he felt that the feast have to do with cycles of blessing because at Passover time, you're cleansing out the yeast, you're getting things right with God. At Pentecost, you're getting a fresh anointing and an empowerment. And then in the fall feast, it's like coming into the glory. And he said that pattern, remember I talked about last week, that pattern of repent and be cleansed of your sin so that times of refreshing will come. It's cycles of revival and cycles of blessing that God's trying to teach us. And I believe the church can live in continual revival. We've lived in an atmosphere of revival and river of life for a long time. And you know what? I just think it's just normal. I think having a dead church service, which we never do, I think that that would be really weird. If we have a relationship with God, and God in the scriptures is showing, I want to be with you. I want my presence with you. I want to meet with you. I want to spend time with you. Then why in the world is it not happening in in the greater body of Christ? I believe also that these feast times help us to link into God's timing. God is not on the Gregorian calendar. God is on the Hebrew calendar. And so by connecting with these feasts and kind of understanding, it's like you're connecting to the timing of what God's doing more clearly. And finally, my opinion is this. I believe that it brings blessings upon your life. And I, can, I believe I can prove this with Scripture. The Bible calls, Paul was talking about the, the feast of Passover. And he was talking about the communion table. But you guys know the communion table comes out of Passover. And he called the communion table in Passover. He said, when you drink the cup of blessing, you drink a blessing on yourself. In my opinion, I believe blessings come down upon us during these times. And I believe that they're special times. And so I like to, when these times come, I like to recognize them. I like to do illustrated sermons like I did last week so people understand the Bible more clearly. And I think it's a special and a powerful time. And so next week, people are going to come over. And I'm going to do an illustrated thing about, you know, the sukkah and the tabernacles and and what all that that represents. But anyways, Yom Kippur, talking about it today, it represents, it's speaking prophetically of the coming tribulation. But the tribulation is the days of Jacob's trouble, not the bride, but Israel. And I don't know about you, but I want to be during that time at the marriage supper of the Lamb having been caught away at Yom Teruah time. And I, I want to close with this saying this statement. A lot of people, I'm just going to put this out there. We don't know the day nor the hour. And there's certainly, I'm not making any predictions, but I don't believe other people are either. But a lot of people believe that since Jesus came, died on Passover, you know, and I went through that whole thing. They really believe that there's a connection with Yom Teruah and the rapture. Could be. We don't know. We don't know the day nor the hour. But Yom Teruah begins on what's called Erev, one night before at sundown, but then it goes two full days after that. Does that make sense? 
So it's like what day, what hour. So some people speculate that maybe possibly the Lord might come at that time. Who knows? He could. And then they suspect that maybe because Yom Kippur speaks of the tribulation time, maybe the tribulation will start right around Yom Kippur and then will end at a Yom Kippur time. After Yom Kippur, there's a few days till tabernacles. Maybe when Jesus' feet touch the Mount of Olives and when he comes in to rule and reign, it might be on tabernacles. Just putting that out there. It's a possibility. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We obviously don't know the day nor the hour, but I also believe that we're called to live what would be called circumspect. We're, we're called to be children of the light. We're, these days should not be coming upon us um, where we don't have a clue. We should be walking with the Lord. We should be walking in the light as he's in the light. We should have revelation. We should be able to know the word and know the spirit and understand that we're living in the latter days. And we should be getting our lives ready for his coming. And so, Lord, I pray, put an urgency in your people draw us into you so that we can be ready because you're coming as a thief in the night and an hour the bible says we won't suspect it's going to be a quick thing and lord we want to be ready when you come lord we thank you and we bless you in jesus name we pray amen